Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Let's look together at the story of Jesus' raising from the dead of the only son of a widow in the city of Nain in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. I believe this story has a lot to teach us about intercessory prayer, but also about what it looks like to follow Jesus now in like actions. And um, so I'm just going to begin in verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. So soon afterwards, after what? Well, just prior to this, we have Jesus's healing of a centurion's servant, which um, is a really fascinating story. You know, we have the slave, actually, of a centurion, a Roman centurion, who would have been an enemy of the people of Israel. And, um, and so he's got a slave, which isn't cool. And, um, but the slave is highly regarded by the centurion. So um, we're not going to look at this now, but this is a really fascinating story where Jesus uh, is on his way uh, responding to the intercession or the advocacy of the Jewish um, leaders. He's going to the guy's house, and then the, the centurion sends word saying, hey, I'm not worthy. Just speak the word, and, uh, you know, and, and you have Jesus uh, from a distance speaking healing, and this uh, slave of the centurion is restored. And, you know, so that's kind of an upsetting story in a lot of ways. Like, why would Jesus you know, help a centurion by, you know, by empowering his slave. And, um, you know, and yet it shows also that this centurion is particularly humble. He doesn't consider himself worthy. And, and he's viewed as a model of faith by Jesus. And also the slave, who's the lowest uh, person, you know, the most lowly character is the one who benefits them the most, right? Because his life is spared. So we have a crowd of people that are following behind Jesus along with his disciples. And I assume that they are um, aware of this miracle. And and so they're wondering, I would think, and I'm wondering, well, what's Jesus going to do next? I mean, that that was pretty interesting. And, um, you know, what was the draw that would cause people to follow Jesus? A large crowd of people. Um, well, I know that um, we're, we're six chapters into Luke, and just prior to this, uh, we have Jesus's sermon on the plain, you know, where you have Luke's version of the Beatitudes. And, you know, prior to that, this many um, stories, including the healing, I mean, the calling of the 12 disciples, um, the calling of Matthew, you know, um, and, uh, you know, other aspects. Jesus heals a leper and a paralytic and heals many, many. And uh, so we have momentum in Jesus's, uh, you know, in his mission and, and people are interested in me, and they're going with him. So we have a large crowd. They're coming up to a city called Nain. Now, the meaning of Nain, um, if you look at the Hebrew, uh, Na'a, means uh, literally like a home, but it can mean a pasture, habitation, or a pleasant place. So I don't know exactly what, whether that's important for us as um, interpreters, but in case you wondered, that's, that's the meaning of the name. Um, so the disciples are going along with him. And um, so there's a procession and they're, you know, it says now, as he approached the gate of the city, 
So Jesus is outside, and um, so often Jesus's actions are, are are on the outside of 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 you know um, literally in in nature, like beside the sea, um, on a on a road, um, on the outskirts of a town, and uh, on a mountain. And here uh, Jesus is approaching the gate, so he's on the outside of the city, and a dead man was being carried out, the only son of a mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. So we have a procession of death that is leaving the gate of the city and is also on the outside, moving towards a procession of of life, um, where there's likely um, the crowd is anticipating, you know, more life, more uh, actions of liberation, and and so what's going to happen um, now uh, as this procession of life led by Jesus is going to meet this procession of death um, that is, uh, you know, that is all about, you know, a really tragic situation of a, of a widow who's already lost her husband and now has lost her only son who's on the way to bury him. So, um, and where do we find ourselves in similar situations? Like, like if we were to go out in and be a procession of life, you know, where might we encounter people? who are, um, you know, who represent sort of a procession of death. Um, you know, we've been going out on Friday nights for uh, quite a while now where we, you know, we meet in the Safeway parking lot and we, we bring um, services of hot water and little backpacks with cider and hot chocolate and a cup of soups and gloves and hats. And we've been dividing up into smaller groups of three or four and, and going out and looking for people who are, who are addicts and the homeless, and we've been, you know, moving towards them and offering them hot drinks and prayer. And it's been, we've had some beautiful encounters. And the longer we're doing it, the more, you know, we're really meeting all the people and they're recognizing us now and, and we're getting to know them as on a first name basis. And, and most of the people are, um, when we offer to pray for them, they're, they're accepting our prayers and and they're receiving, and they're receiving our hot drinks, and and so, and some of these people have died, you know, a, a number of them have died of overdose deaths, and um, we're giving out Narcan and test strips so that people can test whether there's fentanyl and some of their drugs, which there mostly is, and so, um, you know, we're we're actually trying to inter- interrupt, uh, you know, the movement towards death that we see in our city. And a lot of the people are young. They're in their they're in their late twenties, um, in their thirties, and there's older people too. But they're in a movement towards death, and and there've been so many deaths. Like there's over 300 people a day that are dying of fentanyl fentanyl overdoses in the United States right now, and in our region, there's there's a growing number. So, um, what does it look like to be a movement of life that is all about um, encountering? in a face-to-face sort of way, um, you know, movements of death. Um, well, let's see what happens in this story. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. Um, let's just stop there and look at that. Um, so we have Jesus meeting this widow who has lost her only son, and there's a sizable crowd with her. Um, and that crowd is is likely grieving, right, with her. And yet, um, what might 
they be thinking about her. I mean, already she's lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. And we were talking about this last night in a Bible study at Tianwewa. We had a number of women who, you know, who were single mothers and um, grandmothers who had lost their husbands, some to death, some the relationships just had fallen apart. And um, I was asking the, the women, well, what does it feel like? What would it feel like to be a woman who's lost her husband and now her son? How would people, how would you think people would be viewing you? And people, the women were saying, well, they'd, they'd see us as, as, as to blame. They'd, they'd, they'd think that there's something wrong with us. And, uh, and the women were saying, yeah, that's the tendency is to feel um, that we're, you know, we're failures. And, you know, we, we couldn't stop our, you know, our, our husband, our partner from dying and, and we couldn't keep our son from dying. And why did they die? I mean, was it because we didn't do something? Uh, was it neglect? And I think any of us who are parents, we know how it e how easy it is, how normal it is to blame ourselves, and um, and you know for the for the things that are going wrong with our families, and 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 that's understandable because sometimes and often you know we we do make mistakes. It's because of our ignorance. It's because of our unknowing, uh, you know, actions of neglect and and maybe our knowing actions too of sinning against. Um, people that that there's consequences and 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 that leads to dysfunction and sometimes death and so uh, this woman is uh, surrounded or you know has a large following of, of townsfolk and um, and so she's feeling obviously the the grief and um, and so here the Lord um, the first thing he does is he sees her and why is that important you know what does that mean um, and it's interesting. It doesn't say that Jesus saw her. It says the Lord saw her. And so um, that evokes the Exodus, you know, where, um, you know, when God meets Moses in the desert, you know, um, as, the, as the Lord, the angel of the Lord who appears to Moses in the burning bush, you know, one of the first things he says is that I have seen the suffering of my people that are in Egypt. And, um, you know, um, and so it's the Lord who sees and who now is showing up and who sees this woman. Um, and so let's uh, let's just look at that a little bit in Exodus chapter 3, uh, or in Exodus chapter 2. Now, um, well, at the, first, the first occurrence is verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. The sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. Okay, and uh, and that's repeated in verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses after he's called him, I have surely seen, I've seen, seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters for I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good land, good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So is this um, evo evoking, is the Lord seeing this um, woman evoking the Exodus story? Most certainly, yes. And, um, you know, and God's seeing is significant. And I was asking, um, we were asking some of the women who had been homeless, who had been addicts and gone through uh, a lot of a lot of suffering that were in our Bible study 
just what that meant to them. And, um, you know, and they were saying, well, yeah, to, to be seen is the most important thing. Like when you're homeless, you're used to people not looking at you because they, they don't want to engage with you because if they look at you then and they notice you, then they feel like they have to do something or uh, they feel, you know, guilt or they feel, you know, um, and so a lot of people just avoid uh, any kind of contact. And so, um, uh, this woman um, was telling us last night that that's the most alienating thing about being, you know, being a person on the street who's suffering is is not being seen. So the Lord saw her. And then the second thing is he felt compassion for her. And uh, splagizomai is that term like uh, that is about the gut, you know, the splagizomai is, 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 a, is a feeling of compassion from the core of, of, of a person's being and it um it's similar to the hebrew term for compassion which is it's which is about you know a gut level feeling um and of solidarity so he felt compassion for her so he not only saw her but he felt compassion for her. he didn't judge her you know when we see people sometimes our prejudices cause us to think well they're obviously making their own bad choices and this woman has clearly boy i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to marry that widow um, look what's happened to her husband. Who knows whose fault that was, and now her son. And, um, you know, we tend to, to, to blame, but here we have Jesus um, seeing and then having compassion for her. And then he speaks to her. And what does he say? This is so strange. What he says, it's just so out of keeping with the way that we're trained to, to be as pastoral workers. He says, do not weep. Of course, we don't know how he says it, what tone of voice. But um, for him to say, don't weep, is, um, you know, is, is either it's coming out of, it's not coming out of a place of detachment because we know that he felt compassion for, right? It's not coming out of some just intellectual certainty like, okay, uh, the forces of life have won through yours truly, you know, me, Jesus, um, even though I haven't conquered death yet, but I'm going to. It's not some kind of theological certainty, intellectual certainty. It's it's a it's a don't weep that comes out of a of of seeing and feeling compassion. And um, interestingly, um, the earliest occurrence of Cleo, uh, which is uh, to weep in in Luke's gospel, is just prior to this in Luke six twenty one. Blessed are you who hunger now. For you should be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Okay, well, so this woman is about to have things shift for her. From she's blessed um, as as someone who weeps, and um, and then um, you know we see other examples, you know, of of people, you know, people weeping before Jesus, um, and. Um, you know, there's a woman who is a woman of the city who's standing behind Jesus at his feet in the Pharisee's house weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And Jesus ends up defending her in a significant way uh, from the judgments of the Pharisees. And then in Luke 8, 52, in, uh, when Jairus' daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, dies and um Jesus is interrupted on his way to their house um, by the woman with a blood flow who touches him. Um, anyway, when they, he finds out that the girl's dead and uh, the people come and say, don't trouble the teacher, 
anymore. It's too late. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, only believe. Don't don't be afraid. Only believe. And and when he comes there, they were all weeping and lamenting for her, which is the normal thing. Which is like this crowd, they would have been in solidarity with her, but he said, stop weeping. Okay, and and then, but he gives a reason in this case for she has not died, but is asleep, and um, so um, and Jesus is not just about um not weeping as a principled position, um, like he is about lament too, because um, just as an aside, we see that Jesus um, there is a place for weeping even in the Beatitudes. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you should be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. That's Luke 6.25, and that's part of the reversals of fortune. You know, the God's raising up the poor who sit in the dust and make, making them sit with princes. And he's bringing down the powerful from their thrones and making them sit in the dust. And so those of us who are well-fed and who aren't in a place of need and, and lack an awareness of, of how much we need a Savior, you know, um, you know, we're, we need to move into a place of recognizing our finitude and our brokenness and our, our need for a savior. And, and we will, Jesus is saying, um, you know, um, so, uh, Jesus, when he approaches Jerusalem in Luke 19, 41, he saw the city and he wept over it. And, um, and so, you know, Jesus wept when he, when he saw Lazarus had, had died and how much it affected his, uh, you know, his family, um, his, his, you know, Lazarus's sisters, right? So anyway, back to this text. So Jesus says, don't weep. Um, and, you know, we don't know yet what's going to happen, but as onlookers, as part of the crowd, my, um, my, my curiosity would be at, at an all-time high right now. I'd be like, what's going to happen next? So, um, so let's see what's going to happen next. Verse 14, and he came up, and he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. Okay, so Jesus um, moves towards death. He moves closer towards it than he was. You know, he came up. And um, and not only does he move towards it, but he makes himself unclean. He touches the coffin. Okay, um, and when he touches the coffin, he um, there's a term that's used, which is hapto. And, um, and in this term, um, we see in the Greek version of the, in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, that is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word, which is used in, say, Leviticus 5, where it says uh, in verse 2, that soul which shall touch any unclean thing or carcass or that which is unclean um, or dead bodies, um, and it gives a list of things, um, um, you know, that person will be made, uh, will be defiled. Um, and then, um, and then there's the things that they have to do to, to, to become cleansed. And, um, like numbers 1911, the one who touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Um, or verse 13, everyone that touches the carcass of, a, of the person of a man, if he should have died, um, and the other, um, not have been purified has defiled the tabernacle of the Lord that soul shall be cut off from Israel because the water of sprinkling has not been sprinkled upon him. He's unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. So that's pretty hardcore text there. 
And then verse 31, chapter 31, verse 19 of Numbers. And you shall encamp outside the great camp seven days. Everyone who is slain and who touches a dead body. Um, okay, so it's interesting because he, Jesus is outside the camp. And he is in front of uh, his own entourage of disciples and crowd. He's um, committing an infraction. Um, and in front of the procession of the grieving group and the and uh, the you know the mother and the coffin bearers he is committing an infraction and this is something that we see regularly prior to this text say in luke 5 13 um, a leper comes to jesus and said if you're willing uh, you can make me clean and he stretched out his hand and touched him and saying i am willing be cleansed and immediately the leprosy left him so we see that Jesus is not um, intimidated by uncleanness, and rather his own holiness is uh, stronger than uh, the contagion. And so Jesus comes in carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit that um, overwhelms and makes clean that which is unclean, rather than the contagion contaminating him. You know, Jesus, uh, we see Jesus modeling something a whole nother approach towards the unclean and 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 he's calling and and his disciples all of us who are, who are reading this story to have that same posture and um we see that jesus's uh, direct contact with jesus led to uh, change like luke 6 19 and all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all so the the power of that uh, of that superior whole contagion of holiness of the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus that's called power here um, was overcoming the sickness, overcoming uncleanness. Um, and that's what's going on right here. And, um, and we see that this was not a neutral issue because um, after this text in at Luke chapter 7, verse 39, um, when the Pharisee who had invited uh, the woman that was weeping and and washing Jesus' feet. Um, you know, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. He would know that um, he's being made unclean by this untouchable person, right, who's touching him. And, um, you know, and we see in Luke 8, 44, how the woman with the blood flow um, when who comes behind Jesus and just touches the fringe of his cloak, and immediately the hemorrhage was uh, her hemorrhage is, is stopped, and Jesus mentions that he feels um, you know power coming out of him right, um, and um, and so Jesus elsewhere, um, chapter eighteen verse fifteen, little children are um, he's touching little children, even though the disciples are rebuking. Um, you know, are, are, are against it. And, and so Jesus is, is breaking the rules socially all the time. And, um, and the final, um, use of hopto in the new, in Luke's gospel is Luke twenty two fifty one. 51. Um, you know, when Peter cuts off the slave, uh, servant of the high priest's ear, when he's being, when he's being arrested, um, Jesus says, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. So, isn't that beautiful that um, here we see Jesus um, 
you know, he touches this, um, he touches this coffin and, um, and what happens? Well, in this case, there's not immediate, he's not immediate resurrection, but what there is, is, um, we see that, um, the, the coffin bearers stop. It stops the movement of death. It stops the movement of this body towards the grave. And there's an interruption. And that's what we want to be about is interrupting the, the, the movement of death in the world. And Jesus is, is modeling that for us. So let's see what he does. So now he speaks. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. So Jesus speaks to this um, cadaver, um, calling him young man. He speaks to him directly and gives him a command. I say to you, arise. And in verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak. So the first thing that happens is the dead man sits up, but then um, has a voice, is, is, begins to speak. And, and Jesus gives, gave him back to his mother. And um, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful story of restoration. You know, uh, so many people struggle um, worrying about their children, you know, like um, worrying about whether their children are on a trajectory uh, towards death you know, just making bad choices, um, you know, moving in a direction that is not a direction of, that is life-giving. And, and here it, it seems like it's been, it's too late. The, the child is dead. Um, you know, the only child of this mother and, and Jesus, uh, turns everything around and does something that is only possible with God. Um, and, and this, this man, the dead man, um, begins to speak, and Jesus gives this uh, young man back to his mother. So Jesus is about restoring this um, this mother's um, the son to this mother, and the, the mother to this son, and understands just the, the the value and the importance of of that love relationship of family and, and community, and um, and so the mother is. Uh, freed of all the shame and all the blame, isn't she? And what did the mother do in order to merit this? Um, you know, this is a question that we sometimes forget to ask. Like, did the mother um, affirm that she believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God? You know, did, did Jesus require her to give any kind of declaration of faith? You know, do we see any action of, um, you know, of um, that, that, that shows that she merited um, Jesus's attention. You know, no, no, no. There's absolutely no sign that this woman has done anything religious, anything spiritual. I mean, she's, she's cried. She's, she's weeping. And, um, but, um, you know, but all we know from the Beatitudes is that, uh, blessed are, are those who weep for they will laugh. Um, and, and it's because Jesus, um, makes all things new. And, um, and so this leads uh, to verse 16, fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God. So, you know, fear, why would fear grip everybody? You know, um, I know that if I saw um, someone raised from the dead, I mean, that would just be so outrageous um, that I'm sure that I'd be awestruck. And especially if that was a, a, a family member who I loved. 
I mean, um, I don't know that I, I don't know, fear. I, I, I'd be so delighted and so excited, but, but I think, um, fear would definitely be part of it because I'd be thinking, okay, well, what about the next dead person and the next and the next and the next, like the, the reality that Jesus has, has, um, interrupted this movement of death. What is that going to mean for the future? What does that mean? Cause we're so oriented towards preparing for death and preparing to lose people and then, uh, grieving over the people that, that we've, that we've lost and trying to prevent an untimely death. You know, so much of our life is about, um, trying to avoid death, isn't it? We're just dealing with it. And, you know, so when Jesus puts, um, you know, interrupts it, stops it and reverses this movement, it's like, what does that mean for, for the future? It's quite upsetting. And their response is, um, a great prophet has risen among us. And uh, that's certainly true. And, um, and then also, God has visited his people. Now, this term visit is a really interesting term. It's kind of a, uh, it's a word, it's episkeptomai. And it can mean to look upon or look after, or even to inspect or to number. Um, but um, it also means to visit. And, um, you know, um, people were always uh, expecting or, uh, you know, or prophesying that God would visit his people. And um, like, for instance, uh, you know, when Abraham was promised a descendant and yet Sarah and he were sterile. In Genesis 21, it says the Lord visited Sarah and, um, and, you know, and then she became pregnant, right? Even though she was pregnant, not through the Lord, but through Abraham, obviously. But, but the visitation was, you know, was really important. And Genesis 50, 24, um, you know, uh, Joseph uh, told the sons of Israel that um, about God visiting um, in the future, you know, um, the people of Israel. And, uh, and we see that also um, in Exodus chapter three, you know, when um, God is speaking to Moses and sending him before Pharaoh to get the children, bring the children of Israel out. He says, go then and gather the elders of the children of Israel and you shall say to them, the Lord God of our fathers has appeared to me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob saying, I have surely looked upon you. That's the same term. Um, like I've certainly looked upon you or I have certainly visited you. And this is the Greek text that I'm reading from. Um, so I've surely looked upon you and upon all the things which have happened to you in Egypt. So um, anyway, it has that dual meaning, look upon and visit. And so um, Exodus 4.31, and the people believed and rejoiced because God visited the children of Israel and because he saw their affliction and the people bowed and they worshiped. And, uh, and then there's, um, you know, promises, um, of, of the, of the Lord visiting, um, you know, in many different places, um, you know, and, and also just testimonies like, you know, uh, Psalm chapter eight, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Um, or the psalmist in Psalm 16, 3, according to the Septuagint, you proved my heart and you visited me by night. You've tried me as with fire and unrighteousness has not been found in me. I am purposed that my mouth shall not speak amiss. Um, 
Psalm 64.9, you've visited the earth and saturated it. You've abundantly enriched it. The river of God is filled with water. So it has to do with the presence of God coming. Um, Remember us, um, O Lord, the psalmist says in Psalm 105.4, with favor thou hast to thy people. Visit us with your salvation. You know, um, visit us with your salvation. Psalm uh, Jeremiah 39.41, and I will visit them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness, and with all my heart and with all my soul. Um, Ezekiel 34, 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will seek out my sheep, and I will visit them. Wow, so that's what's happened here. The Lord has visited his people. So, um, beautifully, um, this, I mean, I think the scripture really shows us an encounter that, um, that is meant to, to, to give us hope that Jesus can come and make a difference for us now, um, that Jesus is a God who sees and who has compassion and who speaks and who, um, changes our misfortunes and brings healing and brings, uh, liberation and, um, and so how would we use a text like this in prayer? You know, I've thought uh, a lot about it, you know, when it, when it comes to people that I love and, you know, my family, my um, people that we're, we work with in our ministry. I, I imagine um, praying like this, and I do pray like this, and we prayed like this last night at Tierra Nueva. You know, Lord, you know, um, we ask that you would just come, that you would show up, that you would... Um, you would interrupt this movement of death and that you, you, you would, you would see and reach out and, and touch and just stop um, this movement of death that is happening um, in this or that person's life. And Lord, um, speak um, and, and just raise uh, this person up, you know, from death to life um, in your mercy, you know, hear our prayers. Um, How might we, also use look at this scripture as an invitation to to a similar uh, action of, as jesus is engaged in do we dare to view ourselves as um you know as as moving um you know from say capernaum to nain in 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 whatever the equivalent of that would look like in our community do we dare to um to see ourselves as deputized by jesus to engage in like actions I think we must. I think Jesus is modeling um, what is it, what it looks like to be a, a child of, of of the Father of God, our Father, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and and through the Holy Spirit, we're in, well, we're invited to be filled with that uh, holiness of God, that is a contagious holiness that is stronger than the unclean um, and uh, the sick sicknesses and the unclean things um, of our world and. And we must uh, be, become more confident that that we carry an anointing, and that anointing is available to us in greater measure, so that we can be filled up with the love of God, and then go out into the streets and bring that love, and through our actions of compassion, and you know, seeing and feeling the compassion towards people, and speaking to them, and daring to reach out and to. Um, and to engage with them um, and speak life, uh, speak healing. You know, we've, we've prayed for so many people 
and we've seen some beautiful healings and we've seen people's hope restored. We've seen what a difference it makes to talk with people, to uh, show them respect, to uh, bless them, to pray for them. And so may we be people that do that. Um, and may we be inspired by this story. Um, I certainly feel so inspired by this story. And um, interestingly, uh, right after the story in verse 18, the disciples of John, they reported to him about all these things. And um, so, you know, they heard about it and they went and told their, their, their master and summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? It's kind of funny that he would ask that um, after hearing just about, um, you know, what has happened, these these events, like the, the healing of the centurion's servant and, you know, um, slave, and then this um, resurrection of this, of this uh, widow's only son. And prior to that, you know, the paralytic heal, heal the lepers being healed, and Jesus is teaching um, the Sermon on the Plain, all of that. Um, he's saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Like, um, and when the men came back to him, they said, um, John the Baptist has sent us to you, uh, Jesus, to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. So, wow, imagine that. This is a major feature of Jesus' ministry, however uncomfortable that makes us feel. You know, it, it, is, um, it is hard, like, to step into this ministry of Jesus because we pray for people and not everybody uh, is immediately healed through our prayers, are, are they? And people who we love, they die. And people who we intercede for and we pray for don't seem to get immediately um, turned around. And so it's easy to to become weakened in our faith and to just stop expecting um, anything and just for our faith and our love to grow cold. But Jesus is um, is challenging us here, isn't he? Um, by just his actions, uh, which are unrelenting. And, uh, and Jesus, he answered um, and said to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. Okay, so um, go and tell him what you are eyewitnesses to. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. So the signs of the, of the revival are, are really here. You know, we've got a revival going on um, that is being reported in, um, you know, at, um, at this university in Kentucky, right? And um, I'm, I'm following that a little bit, and I'm so grateful for it. And, um, and it's interesting, um, though, that here the signs of a revival are, are pretty radical signs, aren't they? Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. And the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor of the gospel preach to them. And, um, you know, so it's actually concrete acts of of uh, of salvation, healing, freedom to the poor, to the dead, to the lepers, out excluded. You know, Jesus is modeling um, ministry to people outside um, who are outsiders. He's with a group on the outside, meeting a group who are on the outside, 
of the of the polis the city this town he's he's at the margins and he's making himself unclean through his engagement with a dead body and um but he's showing that his um force the force of life and and of of cleanness is stronger than the forces of death and 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 uncleanness isn't he and um and jesus says blessed is the one who does not take offense at me so easy to take offense right at jesus it's it's easy to take offense when um a revival hits some place where people weren't even trying um and maybe we've been praying and fasting where we live and and we've been at, in the trenches of ministry for years and years and years and we're not seeing the revival here um it's easy to take offense when we prayed for people to be healed of this or that and then we hear that and they haven't been and then somewhere else we hear that someone is um jesus says uh, blessed is the person that doesn't take offense may we be people who who are not offended by um by the good that happens in places um you know um other than you know our own places or or through others other than through us and may we um you know aspire to engage in the full-on ministry of jesus um you know the way jesus uh, practiced it and uh so i encourage you just to go out and to uh, prayerfully think about what um what it would look like to um you know to practice this text god bless you